Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. I am your host Julie and each Thursday we are having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. In today's episode we are lucky to welcome the wise Didi Tonev. Didi is a conscious person and mother who founded her own Montessori school in London. We'll talk about her journey, how the first six years of a child's life are the most impactful, what are Montessori schools, and how you can be a more conscious parent. I hope you will enjoy this episode. I know I say this all the time, but for you it is free and for me it's truly helpful. So the best way you can support this podcast is to subscribe if you haven't already and write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. You can also take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure. But without further ado, let's begin. Papa, papa, en faisant cette chanson. Maman, papa, maman, papa. Hi, Didi, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for, for coming. I'm very excited. But So before we jump in, could you please introduce yourself? Oh, yes. Uh, my name is Didi. I come from a charming little country in Eastern Europe called Bulgaria. Uh, but I've been living in the past almost 15 years in London, UK. And uh, my story is very interesting because it changed so many times and it's been up and down as many other stories. Uh, I studied psychology at university. I planned to be a psychologist. Uh, I wanted to be a social psychologist, uh, even clinical psychologist for a while. But then my career went into finance, which is a very different field. Uh, and I qualified uh, as a finance person as well. So I worked for an American company at the time. I was their chief financial officer. 
And wow. then they, yeah, it was a great journey at very early age. <laughs> and then uh, I, I guess I gained the attention of my bosses at the time. So they offered me the job uh, in, in, in London, in the UK, because we had our European office here. So 15 years ago, I took the plane. I moved out of Bulgaria, where I grew up, where I never really planned to do anything like that. I never planned to live in another country. Uh, but I utterly enjoyed what I was doing at the time. And I came here and started working in uh, finance in the city, in London. And for many years, that's what I was doing. I never questioned it. I thought that this is my role. This is my career. And then in 2010, I stumbled across a book that changed my life. That was Tim Ferriss' book, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek, um, mm. which he talked about completely different lifestyle. And it made me question my current lifestyle. I started thinking, what is this? I never questioned how my life would turn out. I was 20, what, 28, 29 at the time. And then I just started researching different opportunities, different ways of living. I went back to school while I was working. I was doing NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, coaching diploma, many other things that would put me back to psychology. For a while, I thought that that's my route is, that's my journey is to be a psychologist. And then everything changed when I had my little son, who is now almost eight. And uh, when he was born, before he was born, when he was in the tummy, when I got pregnant, I said, that's it. I, before that, I wanted to quit my job, corporate job in finance. I was doing consultancy at the time for different banks and insurance companies. But even though I tried, it didn't really work out. I would try for a while. I would embark on different entrepreneurial journeys. And then I'll stumble across uh, nothingness <laughs> in a way it would be, <laughs> where do I go from here? I didn't, didn't develop any business. But when I got pregnant, I said, that's it. That's my chance. Because when I have a child, I don't want to work eight to eight. I don't want to live on 20 days holiday because I want to spend this time with my child. And for me, like the biggest motivation was that I wanted to breastfeed as long as I can. So for me, going back to work at uh, six months time, which is usually the mark in the UK, was out of question. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember he was born and I was already reading a lot about conscious parenting, about spirituality, about, uh, you, know, you know, raising children. And uh, that really was very interesting to me because it was very much me going back to psychology uh, when I studied for a master in psychology, we had a whole year studying about the child's development and how important were the first years of child's development. So for me, that was uh, really something that gave me lots of energy and I was very happy to learn more. And uh, yeah, he changed the whole perspective because for me this time there was no coming back. I had to quit my job when he was mm. six months or 12 months old after my leave expired and I had to figure out something else and uh, I used this time when I was pushing the pram all the way into the park to listen to books audio books to figure out things that I can potentially be doing and to make sure that I can come up with some idea business idea that can be sustainable and that can lead me to something which is more authentic to to what I've been doing what I wanted to do it's not that finance was something that I hated I loved it actually I've been involved in management accounts it's mm -hmm. been always very interesting to me but there were times and quite often towards the end when I wouldn't I, I didn't feel there was an impact from the work I've been doing. I felt yeah, that yeah. I need something much more impactful. And 
when you have a little human growing into you, <laughs> you understand that there's so many other things that are really, truly important. And I just revised my life and they said, that's what I'll do. I'll figure something out. So, um, so then he was born and I was pushing the pram and I was coming up with ideas. And the first idea I came up with was to create a baby feeding program because uh, of course the best ideas for me, if you ask me now, after so many ideas, seven years ago, come when you have a problem you want to resolve for yourself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wanted to start him on uh, solid food, which uh, there were different ways to do that. The, one of the ways was baby led winning, quite popular in the UK, not at all popular in the US, baby self-feeding, I think it's called there. And it's something which was scary to me to do, but I thought it's the right thing. I am very Montessorian parent, and I can talk a little bit about Montessori later in what yes. ways people can be Montessorian parents. But feeding your baby didn't feel Montessorian to me in the sense of if I didn't let him feed by himself. So baby led winning means that the child feed by themselves. It really supports their independence. It supports their healthy relationship with food later on. There are lots of benefits from the approach. I, I and believe as well, even the, the gag... Uh, exactly the, the gagging right? and the way they swallow there are a lot of children nowadays young children with difficulty swallowing food because they have not been really exposed to chewing and chewing mm -hmm. is very important part of the development of the teeth and development of the jaw and it was something which was scary for me to do because the only resource i could find were books two books and then i wanted to see how it looked like but there wasn't much information so i sat down and i said this is my I'm just going to do this educational product, which will be helpful for other people as well. My partner, he's a doctor and he used to be, now he's consulting uh, for companies, but he used to be um, internal diseases doctor. So I said, you have to sit down with me from a doctor perspective, do the research because I'm a great researcher and I'm super researcher. But it took me 10 months to build this program, which if I am to build today, I'll probably build not more than three weeks. <laughs> but at the time was 10 months because you're not sure what you're doing, you know, trust yourself. Also with a newborn baby, right? That takes Yeah, time. of course. And then he was six months old, when seven months old when I started with the idea because I saw my struggle. And then my sister had a baby and her baby was nine months younger than mine. So I filmed doing, I used him as a subject in my course. Uh, that's why I, I spent so, so long, literally it was so long, but that was my first attempt to break my chain with corporate finance and say, let me do what I feel I'm best to do, which is, I've always felt myself like I'm a teacher, not only teacher to children, but teacher, someone who can get information, research it very well, uh, synthesize it, and then hopefully make it much more simple than, mm. than it is from a complex information. That was my first attempt. I launched the product. I don't know, seven years ago now, it's called Baby Let Winning. Uh, Baby Meets Food was the original name. Uh, now it's in Udemy. I don't sell it uh, anymore on the site. But that prompted me to create this educational platform. I opened my YouTube channel. At the time, it was called Smart Parent Stories. I started posting very consistently videos every week for about two years. Every single Tuesday, I would post a video about conscious parenting, about personal development, about uh, recipes and feeding. So everything that's really at the time I was interested in and I'm still interested in, but also everything that I thought would be helpful for parents, including a lot of information on Montessori, mm -hmm. how to Montessori at home and how, to, how, to, how, how can you take uh, information that it's already curated by someone who is very relatable or similar to you. That was my aim. Mm. And... 
Yeah, and then Mika grew. My child, he's called Mika, and he started nursery when he was free. Again, you know, I did all my research. I've been considering myself as such, such more conscious parent right now with great ideas of how important the first six years of life are. And then there were some struggles at his school that I, th I thought that they would not deal with these struggles. For example, he was biting for a while and things like that, that children mm. do quite sometimes <laughs> emotionally. And I didn't feel that the nursery um, acted in the Montessori way for me. And at the time I was researching quite a lot about Montessori and why Montessori versus Steiner and why Montessori versus Reggio. Emilia, these are different approaches. And I really fell in love with Montessori. So I went and gained a diploma again. It took me a year and a half, almost two years to gain a qualification as a level four Montessori teacher. And uh, I said to myself, I'm just complaining, complaining, complaining. Uh, instead of complaining, let's just take action and open a nursery where I can see the values I believe in and uh, all all the concepts that I truly believe underpin the Montessori philosophy, I can see them in action. And about four years ago, when my son was three and a half, uh, I opened uh, my Montessori school, which is mm. now a pretty successful and great Montessori nursery in uh, London. That's yeah. great. Well, congratulations. And it's cool because you Thank must you. have been able to sort of practice some techniques on your kid and see probably also the evolution and how he responds to certain uh, techniques. So it's definitely good. But so you mentioned the importance of the first six years and I thought it would be mm -hmm. interesting to dive a bit more into that subject. Of course, yeah. So Montessori calls the first six years the absorbent mind. This is the time of the life of the child when their brain goes through huge development. And we know now much more about that from uh, neuroscience. And she didn't have the tools that we have right now to measure brain development, but she was aware of the changes that happen in the child's brain. Maria Montessori was very, very progressive for her time. She was the first Italian doctor, woman doctor, at a time when women were not supposed to study medicine. And she always says, it's not my philosophy. It's not something that I came up with. And I said, this is my pedagogy. It is for observation of the children that I came up with these principles that I can see that every child goes through these periods of time. And she calls this zero to six, the absorbent mind. And there are many other theories that would confirm that this is really the most important time in child's life, much more important than going to college or university or you know, which career they choose later in life. And uh, the reason why it's so important is, according to Montessori, uh, children are born with so-called human tendencies. We are all humans. We are born with the tendencies for exactitude, for exploration, for, for socialization, for movement. And we come with this capacity to do all these things. And then we go through certain periods that are called sensitive periods. And these sensitive periods are different between zero and three, three and three and six, but usually between zero and six, it's when the child goes through these sensitive periods. Sensitive periods means a period when the brain is like a little sponge, mm -hmm. that's the absorbent mind. And there is a window of opportunity for a child to acquire great skill or knowledge or ability effortlessly. That's the whole idea, sensitive period. Let's use the opportunity that the child is very susceptible to certain things right now, and then create a favorable environment that would support the sensitive period. And uh, there are sensitive periods for uh, language acquisition, for uh, moving of small objects, of larger objects, of order. There are different sensitive periods. 
And the idea is that if we, as parents at home, educators is a different story, but let's just, I know your audience would be mainly parents, so let's just translate that to parents. If you, as a parent at home, want to be, want to be, because this, this requires awareness, to be a more conscious parent, and you would like to work with the sensitive periods that your child goes through, you have the role to create a very favorable environment for the child. So you have, I always tend to imagine a triangle. So everybody who listens, they can imagine a triangle. We always have the child on the top of the triangle. And the child is the person who we want to give the most freedom. So the child is here to, to be free. We are the people who are supposed to respect their individuality, respect their soul, observe our child and say, okay, I can see that I have to provide to this child lots of freedom within boundaries, of course, within boundaries but lots of freedom so that he can exercise these human tendencies he came with. And then you say, okay, my child comes with these human tendencies for certain things, but let me create favorable environment to satisfy this sensorial, uh, these sensitive periods. And then it's up to you to create environment where instead of you running after your child and uh, saying no all the time, uh, you create rich environment that supports his curiosity or her curiosity, that supports his desire to be independent, that supports the desire of the child to explore, to learn, um, to try new things, to problem solve. It's up to you to set it up in a way that really helps them do that. And then you have your own role at school that would be a teacher's role, but at home that's the role of the parent. And when you think as a parent what my role is, your role is to, first of all, observe as much as you can instead of interrupting all the time. Nowadays with parents, because we're so busy and times are very different than they were years ago and much more stressful, let's face it, parents have very little time to let their children do things for themselves. It's much easier if we try to do it instead of them, but that doesn't support the child and it's not an investment in their independence in the future. So your role as a parent is okay, I created this favorable environment. I am aware of the freedom I should give to my child. I'm aware this is separate individual. It's not me, it's not extension of me. And I'm aware that I, I'm supposed to help my child to become this resilient, very uh, independent child person that I want them to be. Happy, confident, with great self-esteem. My role is to observe really my child so I know them better because People tend to put children in a box and that was the system. I grew up under the communist regime. We were all put in a box. We have to all be the same. We have mm -hmm. to all act and react the same way. Whereas when you observe your child and you may be a parent of two or three children, you know your child is very different than their siblings, of although course. they live and share the same environment. So it's your role to know what's the interest of my child. What do they like? What kind of personality is emerging out there? How can I respect the personality that they have versus my expectation of who the child should be? And through observation, mm -hmm. then you build upon their interest. And then observation makes you also more aware. I actually think that observation is such an underestimated tool into parenting. People tend not to observe, but to translate their own expectations or assumption of who their child is. Whereas if you observe, you get to know them. And if you give them the freedom to be who they are, it means that you let go of your expectations, who they should be and how they should, how they should act. So for you as a parent, that's number one, observe your child. Also, what role model you are? That's the second I always say. Yeah. The children don't care what you say. <laughs> you may say it 150 times, they watch you so carefully, they see who you are. 
So if you want to be a certain type of parent, instead of saying what type of parent you are, just be this person because <laughs> you cannot trick them. <laughs> so that's really important. And that's I guess true. in the first six years, that's the, the main challenge. I see, I've always asked by our parents as well, it's good, by many other parents when I used to run webinars, was, but how can I support my child's independence? But how can I make sure that my child uh, is problem solving? And there are so many things we can do at home to do that. And if you want me, I can go in details in that. If you want me, I can cut it short. But we just need to know we have the power to... Yeah, but I even learned this morning, which I found was mind-blowing, is that a child can be behind. I don't really like to say that, but it can be behind in the first two years of their life. So family figures or parents or, you know, parental figure had like even before school, before they're even too social with others, they have such an important role in supporting mm. the, the, the child to develop a personality and so on. And I, I learned this from Harvard. Uh, it was a Harvard uh, article and video sure. this morning mm -hmm. that even in the first two years, you can be behind, which I think is that quite mind-blowing. So that, that again, proves the importance of, uh, you know, conscious parenting. And I think for every episode, we end up talking about self-care mm. because it's the same, as you said, you know, if you take care of yourself, then that is going to be the lesson that your kid is going to learn. And so they're going to value their time and mm -hmm. putting their, themselves first. And you can tell them to do it. If you never do it, they're not going to teach them because again, that's coming back to role modeling, right? You can tell exactly. them something, love yourself, be gentle to yourself. But if you don't do it, they see you're not doing it yourself. So it's a lesson that they won't learn. Mm -hmm. But I agree, uh, Montessori was very much against, I personally am very much against uh, putting children in a box and comparing them to others because comp comparison is doesn't do anything good for children. I know that it's really struggle sometimes and it's difficult because in school systems in different countries um, healthcare professionals as well they have to have a system where they compare children to uh, average child so that they can say this child is behind in speaking this child is behind in walking I personally am very much against that and mm -hmm. it's a big conversation that we always have at school uh, because if we are to ever label children, we should make sure we label them positively. And I'm not meaning we teachers, but it's parents as well. We parents tend to knock so much to our children to all the time. Do this, do that. Why you haven't done this? Why you haven't done that? That in the end of the day, if we reflect back throughout the day, you will see that nagging is that much versus uh, versus just being there and giving them not positive, uh, not not praising them because praise also it's a different topic that we can discuss, but it depends yeah. how you praise. Positive. That would be interesting as well because I think it's it's hard to to know. For example, yeah, like focus on the positive, but what about praise? So if you can maybe elaborate a so little for bit on me, that. Praise and also Montessori agrees on that in a different way. Mm -hmm. I stumbled across praise. Uh, before even I stumbled across uh, Montessori in details but when you say to a child when you praise the child oh you're such a good boy you're such a good girl good boy good girl good boy good girl or you oh my god I really love your picture you made an amazing picture oh I love how you dance right now or you're so beautiful things like that 
we are praising, we, we, first of all, we want the child to like us. So mm -hmm. we want the child to gain our approval. It's not to like us, but it's for the child to gain our approval. But also we give them a praise that is not meaningful for them. First of all, if we tell them you're a good boy, good boy, good boy, good boy, because you've been uh, cleaning or tidying up after yourself, tomorrow if he doesn't tidy up or clean after themselves, they would feel inherently internally that they're not good boy. Mm. When you do a praise, when you give a praise to your child, it's great if the praise can be descriptive. It can be, I can see that you've been tidying up after yourself today. Wow, I can see you've been using colorful pictures to make this collage. It's very descriptive. I can see that you just opened the door and helped your brother get in. So they know you've seen, they can see the recognition in it, but it doesn't create identity for them. When you create identity with good boy, good girl, uh, very talented um, artist and the child is only free. First of all, you are focusing on the end result rather than the process itself. For example, if you praise a certain job that they've been doing, they don't really care. Usually children at that age, they don't really care about the end result. They really are in the present moment, interested in the journey. Whatever they're doing, they don't care whether it will be liked or not until we teach them to do that. And we do, at schools we do, parents do, uh, because we adults, we don't operate that way. For us adults, the end result is much more important than the journey itself. We yeah. can go through <laughs> hell, we can go for a very difficult journey and say, yeah, but it's worth it because I will get that at the end. Children don't do that, they live in the present moment. So when you do praise, when you use praise, do not label child. You can say somebody that did something great, somebody did something good, but do not attach a label to the good child, bad child. They're going to crave your approval in time and they're going to feel inadequate if they do not fit the label that they've been given by you. And that very much aligns with the growth mindset as well. If you read Mindset Book from by Carol Dweck, she spends a lot of time speaking about praise and why praise would usually create fixed mindset versus the growth mindset we want them to embody in time. Mm, no, that's true. That's very inspirational. And so going back and linking that to the Montessori school that you created, mm -hmm. I guess two questions. So how does that work really? And how, for example, how many kids do you have, you know, mm -hmm. in the school so that you're able to apply and really have a, you know, there's no one size fit all and you can really have that yeah. amount of, yeah. Oh, well, in a real Montessori environment, it's there is never a one size fits all anyways so any school if they're Montessori they will have the idea of the philosophy of Montessori there and I know that Montessori she never trademarked she never trademarked her name so many schools would use Montessori without being Montessori and that's why I always tell parents I even have a video if somebody wants to go and check on YouTube about that because it's an important decision. When you send your child to a nursery, it's a pretty important decision if you have a choice between different uh, schools that some nurseries would say they're Montessori, but they're not because they mm. don't really follow the Montessori methodology. If you're a Montessori school, if your child goes there, it's okay. If it's true Montessori, for sure, they'll look at the child as a separate individual. I'm sure they do that in other nurseries as well. I don't say that only Montessori is great and other mm -hmm. schools are not doing that. It is just that, especially in larger environments with many children, it is very much about following the schedule that the teachers want them to follow versus following the child. In Montessori, it's extremely important to follow the child. 
So when you follow the child, the child may decide that they want to have snack at 9.30 or at 11.30 or not at all, or snacks half of the day. It's their decision how they want to spend the time in the classroom, which means that they know that they have the freedom to choose. And this freedom to choose is something that inherently they come with. So they don't feel that somebody is constraining them and limiting their freedom. And then when they have the freedom to choose, they through using the, uh, the environment, the activities in the environment that are very different. In the Montessori nurse, you won't find uh, toys that many, you won't find plastic mm. toys as well. It's very sort of clean, natural color, beautifully set up environment where the children come and to work with the materials. We don't use the word play. We use the word work because that's what they do. For them, play is work anyways. And I guess that in our world as adults, we should see our work as play as well. So interchangeably, they come and they start engaging with the activities and these activities, all of them would have direct and indirect objectives. It would hone their skills. It would help them with dexterity of the wrist, with motor skills, with language acquisition, with knowledge and understanding of the world, with numeracy, literacy. So all the different areas of the curriculum would always support these direct or indirect objectives is to make sure that they, during this sensitive period, they are really using this favorable environment to support their sponge-like mind <laughs> that is mm -hmm. uh, that they exhibit at the moment. And what we do as well is we're very careful, specifically in our school, we're very careful with language, how we use language, not only in terms of how we praise, but also uh, not saying no and finding different creative ways to learn a child that we shouldn't say no. Of course, no, you say it sometimes, but it needs to be for very, very particular reasons when somebody, it's and, and rarely, let's put it that way. You sh it shouldn't be part of your day-to-day -day mm -hmm. language. Uh, when we have children with so-called in many different places, they would say with difficult behavior or children who are not acting in a certain way that we expect them to act. Again, we don't have expectation how a child should act. We know that if they act in a certain way, there are reasons behind yes. acting in a certain way. So for us, it's really very much about instead of no and a lot of the things that in normal in schools they will do is that they will stop the child and say, for example, if a child bites, the teeth are for eating, not for biting. The child doesn't understand that. <laughs> you know, for them, if they bite, there is a reason why they bite. If they scratch, there is a reason why they scratch. So for us, is not to play the game of you're uh, somebody who, who did something to the victim. So the victim gets a lot of compassion and you're the bad guy but to make sure that the child, that we know the emotional state that brings this reaction to the child and work with the child without putting them on the spot. That's why I feel sometimes that our greatest impact is on these children. You know, in a school, there'll be children who, whether they're this school or another school, probably they'll be equally happy. And there are always some children on both sides of the end that most definitely would do much worse in a different school. So yeah. it's good that they're in the right school for them. And when we have that, uh, especially with children who sometimes in other schools would have been told, no, this child doesn't feel empathy or this child is three years old, really. <laughs> you know, what do you expect from a child? And they come, I'm really, really very happy that we managed to create an environment that supports this child because their path can be so different if they mm. haven't been. Thank you so much for listening. 
Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Because we don't have, unfortunately, the opportunity to see these children 10 years from now. You know, maybe we will have, but we opened four years ago. We've been full in the last two years. It took us two years to get to where we are. And uh, of course, I can see the children who are leaving us, but I cannot see them much in the future. And also I cannot compare them, their path with what would the path be if they've been in another school. But I can say that sometimes we would have children who come to us because parents are really very unhappy with their previous nurseries or, and they say that they've been very much labeled that most of the time they spend in time out, something, a concept that is very, very foreign to our school and that they've been, the reports show that the child has behavioral problems, that the child doesn't feel empathy, that the child is perpetuating others. And uh, when they come, they're almost in tears because of course they want, they want to hear, every parent want to hear good things about their children. And when they come to our place, of course we can see, sometimes we have quite difficult cases as well with uh, scratching and biting and fighting and tantrums and things like that. But for us, it's almost like a Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes case to sit down and really think, okay, what's the experience of this child? If I'm this child now, what's my experience here? What is going on in my life? What can probably be the reason why I feel that way? And to always find the way to make this child feel loved, accepted, feel normal, because often these children are made to feel not really normal, made to feel that they're not in control. They're not supposed to be in control. We adults have emotional tantrums all the, and to expect that three years old children or four years old children would navigate perfectly their life and emotional maturity. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So when we have cases like that, we have a lot of uh, techniques to use with the child. And of course, to make sure everybody else is safe as well but to make sure that they have extremely positive experience and that great confidence for themselves as well, because then they're moving to a big school and it's important that they go well equipped and with a very healthy belief. For me, the belief exactly, is one of the exactly. most important thing. They have the healthy belief that I'm okay and I know how to be okay. And I know how to respect others and myself and I know how to respect the environment because that's the other thing that sometimes can, can be on the way when there is yeah. lack of self-respect. That makes sense. And I think we always hear, oh, but if you're too kind on your kids, then they're not going to know about the real world and they're going to get crushed mm -hmm. and so on. And it's always like, so what? Am I going to beat them up? <laughs> no, like you need to, to give them enough love and, you know, respect so that they learn that themselves and then they'll be much more equipped to deal with everything rather than if they have a negative start to begin with um so it's it's always i mean you just hear that a lot no what you just said it's so important and i so truly believe in that because quite often parents think that if we put our children in difficult situation if we especially if we start early if it's hard on them right now we're equipping them with better uh, perseverance later in life, better grades, so that they'll be more able to deal with problems. I absolutely don't believe that. And I don't think that that's actually true. 
because it's almost like, let's have it hard. Let's have it hard. Let's prepare. A storm would come one day and storms would come, many of them. But let's prepare for the storm by going for a storm and another storm and another storm and another storm. You're never resting. It's, it's actually the opposite. You know, it's, it's a matter of mindset to know that when the storm comes, you'll be able to go through the storm because we, you are really well equipped with self-confidence, with problem-solving skills, knowing that actually I can figure this thing out. There is no need for us to make it harder for someone. This against the, yeah. it's, it's the path of least resistance, <laughs> but we've been brainwashed to think that that's the right way. It is negative for the whole family as well. Like, why would you put yourself through that? There's already some problems or mistakes, like they're going to happen. So mm. it's, it's going to be enough when they come. Why would you want to go through more uh, but anyway <laughs> so it's a very different it's, topic but it's been the predominant belief for many years it is linked it is definitely linked for sure and so how many are you limited in terms of students that you take on so oh yeah we are limited because we're limited by space right now and we had an opportunity to rent other space like bigger space and even to go upper i almost teamed up with uh, you know certain people to do a project on opening a primary school mm -hmm. uh, which we decided to delay because we're going to relocate soon outside of the uk but uh, yeah we have about 30 students that's our limit uh, and in we cannot take more than that right now and the age we have is between two and six, but quite often our children leave us at four, sometimes at five, when their children, when the parents decide to delay them for a year. It's the most beautiful age, if you ask me. But again, now that I have a child who is growing, every time, every year when he grows, I say that that's the most beautiful age. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe I'm very subjective on the matter. Maybe you'll still say that in 18 years, but... Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll say doing the best when he's 20 years old. Great, um, yeah. great. No, it's, it's very interesting for sure. And yeah, I understand that in terms of space and also in terms of attention and staff, you know, per how many people, like how many adults? We have five teachers have? right now, yeah. five teachers who are all Montessori qualified. Uh, in order for somebody to work in our school, they have to go for the qualification because Otherwise, you cannot get the concept. You have to really study that in depth. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we have a very core, strong team right now. That's perfect. I guess that's also like as an entrepreneur, you know, when you also have a good team that everything is working and that is also such an achievement. Like that's the ultimate, yeah. That's the ultimate aim. Otherwise, uh, you know, I have other projects I'm working on, other ideas, other things that I'm developing. And for me to know that it's in good hands, that the values are lived by, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess, you know, my staff, if you ask them, they would always say on, on Fridays when we have our staff meetings, it's always about what are our values? How can we do better? And are we now acting uh, according to our values? And this is a great way to take decisions as well, because when there is a decision to be made, and sometimes it's hard when there are many parties, like especially with parents, of course, and children, because we hold the children in our best interest, and then it's the parent. And then sometimes it makes it so easy when you're like okay let's just go back to our values which are growth excellence love and respect <laughs> so mm -hmm. when you use that as a benchmark it becomes quite obvious what you should say and what you should do and what the action is well that's you know? a great tip i would say <laughs> and is yeah. there any advice that you would like to share 
to parents, the advice I would share is to observe your child more. It's really important to observe your child more and to let them be who they are. If you're a parent who is feeling that you're struggling right now because you don't know your child well, feel yourself a little bit more in the, on the negative side, which happens quite often, I would suggest if you have 10 minutes, just after you finish listening to this podcast, sit down, take a piece of paper, write on the left column uh, things that I liked and on the right column things didn't like and think about your childhood and what are the things that you liked your parents did to you or with you and you didn't like your parents did to you or with you. And quite often we are the parents who parent like our parents. If we don't really go consciously for the process of discovering the programming that we came up with, we will be parents like they are. And it doesn't mean like how we've been parented too, but at the end, unconsciously we adopt the same scheme. So if you do this exercise, I'm pretty sure there will be certain patterns you discover that are not yours, parents. Mm -hmm. And I always say, you cannot have a conscious parent without being a conscious person. <laughs> so it's very much important to, to gain this awareness of, what's going on right now where exactly. I am just notice more observe more and notice more it's not only in parenting it's about anything you do mm, and it can be something that you would view as quite small like for example a friend of mine told me that her dad for example would grab her by the wrist in the streets instead of by the hand and so she made the decision that she thought it was quite violent and so now she only holds her kid's hand the small boy so it's for safety mm. reasons as well, but not by the wrist ever, because that is a position of power mm. over the kid. And it's like, she felt like she was being dragged down the street instead of, you know, a more loving, you know, holding hands uh, method. Yeah. So it, it can be something small like that. And sometimes you have to really dig deep. But I mean, I, I completely agree with that advice. And it's a, it's a good thing to do even for yourself. Like even if you don't even have kids, I know I did it for, for me. And it also allowed me to, to really have a better understanding of my past, why I can react a certain way now you know that was mm. it was it was from a few years ago that happened okay now I understand do I still want to act like that do I want to change making some conscious decision and also probably gave me a lot more like even more respect towards my parents than I than I did and you're like oh wow you know they they were good <laughs> they 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 made and a lot it, of decisions. it empowers you as well right when you can see now it can empower you to say regardless of the programming, I am the person who can choose how I want to be and what choices mm -hmm. I want to make in the future as well. Because parents-children relationship is always complicated. I have a therapist friend. She kept saying that regardless what she does, she's sure her parents would go to a therapist and complain about her parenting <laughs> as the same way she did. I said, I don't want to do that, you know, because they're not meant to be our best friends. If they see an aligned person, if you as a parent, regardless of the fact that sometimes maybe you're losing it, maybe you're not consistent often, not often, if you're not consistent, often, it's not great, but sometimes you're not consistent to what you've been teaching. They are observing you and they will know whether you come from a true position, true self, authentic position of alignment, or you are someone who is not present really. Because most of us, let's face it, most people, they go through life sleeping. And yeah. it's a matter of, 
do I wake up to see that I've been given this gift of parenting? For me, parenting is a great gift and it wakens you up as almost nothing else. It's such a spiritual journey. And that's what people say. They say you can go meditate in the mountains with other monks somewhere. And it's much easier than being a parent of a toddler at home. Let's see your level of, <laughs> level of calmness and harmony and balance. <laughs> It's like you think you're conscious, you think you have it together. Well, try that with a, with a kid around. Yeah, exactly. The, I saw in the, in the book, A New Earth, it's called. And he was saying, you know, like, if you think you managed to reach your level of con consciousness and your level of presence, go and spend two weeks at your parents. Just try Exactly. That. <laughs> that's the other thing. Just go to a parent. But that's the other thing, though, because we tend to blame when we grow up, we tend to blame our parents for the way we are. And again, this is a victim role. It's much better if we just say our parents did their best, because that's true. Everybody did their best when they were raising us. Forgive them, forgive yourself, go through the process of saying to yourself, okay, it's time for me to unravel that, but I cannot blame everything on them. Now I have a choice actually, because I'm mm -hmm. awakened now and I have the choice to see how I parent, who am I as a parent and notice more, observe more. I would say to parents as an advice, drop your expectations. There are so many expectations that are not even yours. Quite often these expectations again come from society, from other parents. When you see these children, poor children going on the competitor race from very early on for which school, what school, how many, uh, what sort of grades they should get, you wonder, is this a competition between children or is it between parents? <laughs> What's going on mm -hmm. here? And again, whose expectations I'm fulfilling right now? Why academics are always put much higher than art? Like what's going on here? Again, because society took a decision right now in the past hundred years that this is how we measure certain things. But does this need to be your way? Does this need to be your child's way? When you revise your expectations, you can give them the freedom to be who they are truly. And I would say maybe the last thing, because you know, otherwise I can talk forever on this topic is, <laughs> Just say more often to your child, I love you. Truly, I love you. I mm -hmm. thought that it's something that everybody says all the time, but it turned out it's not. And if it feels uncomfortable to say it right now, again, there are many reasons why it may feel uncomfortable. Maybe you never heard it yourself. Get into the habit of telling them, I love you just the way you are. I love you just the way you are. It's just one of the really important phrases because they don't have to do anything to gain your love nothing it's no. one of the biggest problem and the reason why people go to therapy for years and years and years is this feeling of i'm not enough this feeling i'm not loved i need to do something so that i can gain love this can be all so quickly changed if we are more conscious parents it's just you know heartbreaking sometimes when you think oh my god it doesn't actually require that much it requires conscious oh, parenting yeah. to make sure that children grow with the idea i'm enough i don't have to do anything I'm good the way I am. Mm, and then yeah. it changes. I mean, it has a positive impact on society, on everything afterwards. And the next so generation. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, this is mind blowing, but I guess this is why we do what we do. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's interesting. And it sure. can help someone. That's, that's the main, most important thing. I'm sure that the exactly. message always gets to the person who wants and is ready to hear it. Mm. 
That is very true. So thank you so much, Didi, for sharing all your wisdom no with us. Really. We will leave all your links in the description box uh, so that if you're listening and you want to know more about the school or some information that we mentioned, you can find everything in the description box. But thank you so, so much, Didi. It was it's so a pleasure. Thank you, Julie, for having me. I loved being your guest. Thank you so much for oh, your time. Thank you. <laughs> If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.